Welcome back to Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic story of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. Last week's episode that things will continue to go right for Bishop Ryan on the field. And they will finish the... We know from last week's episode, though, that things will continue to go right for Bishop Ryan on the field. And they will finish the season with the only unbeaten record in school history at 8-0-1, only to see that erased by an NSAA eligibility ruling against linebacker Gary Shaddy. Let's review the story from last week before we talk about how this disappointing ending plays into the bigger history, the rise and the fall of Omaha Bishop Ryan High School. Last week, we chronicled the 1972 football season, when Lincoln East and Lincoln Northeast fell into a split state ratings championship, when unbeaten Bellevue was upset by Omaha Rummel in the Metro playoff game, and Omaha Ryan saw its 8-0-1 undefeated dream season turned into an 0-9 nightmare by an NSAA ruling. Today, we take a deep dive into the history of Ryan High and its neighbor and rival, Daniel Gross High School. 
1972 had been the 15th fall of football and school for Bishop Ryan, the progressive high school at 16th and L Streets in Omaha, and should have been one of its athletic high points, maybe the start of another golden age like it had experienced in the 1960s. But instead, it serves as an inflection point that is hard not to interpret as the beginning of a decline which will lead to the closing of the school in 1983. In order to see that more clearly, let's zoom out and take a big picture look at Bishop Ryan so you can see what I'm saying. The school was born amidst all the baby boom initiated school expansion of the 1950s and 1960s. It's hard to look back at any issue of the Omaha World Herald in that era without running across a story of some school being expanded or a new campus being proposed or built. Just as District 66 was growing west side high out of what used to be three small rural districts on the outskirts of Omaha, Oakdale, Underwood Hills, and Loveland, and the Omaha Public Schools were opening new high schools, Northwest, Bryan, and Burke, the Omaha Catholic Diocese was trying to deal with the growth and westward movement of the Omaha population. In the mid-1950s, when Ryan High was first proposed, the diocese had three schools in Old Omaha, Sacred Heart near 21st Street, Holy Name near 29th, and Cathedral at about 39th. The opening of Rummel out at 64th in 1964 by the De La Salle brothers, while not under direct diocese direction until it became Ron Colley a decade later, at least gave Catholic education a foothold in northwest Omaha. The diocese's answer in the South at first seemed to be Bishop Ryan High. Omaha Archbishop James Ryan had died in 1947 and left the diocese $1 million for a new school. By the mid-50s, though, it was obvious that the diocese was going to need a partner uh, from another organization to raise the money it would take to make the new school a reality. Enter the Sisters of St. Francis out of Milwaukee, an order with a long history of establishing and running schools, and, it turns out, a more progressive educational philosophy than the Omaha Diocese, but that won't play out for a while. In 1956, the Sisters of St. Francis matched Bishop Ryan's million-dollar investment, and Ryan High opened in 1958 with 170 freshmen. By the time the first class graduated in 1962, the school stretched atop a hill north of 60th Street, was housing over a thousand students, and touting itself as the largest Catholic school in the state. Those numbers would continue to grow slowly through the decade. By 1970, the Knights will have over 540 boys on the NSAA enrollment list, making its total enrollment about 1,100. In the athletic arena, Ryan competed in Class A from its inception and quickly proved it belonged. From 1962 to 1964, they were ranked in the football top 10 each season, as high as number 4 in 1963. The wrestling team won the state championship in 65, led by Tom Giadinato, who won his second state title at 133 pounds. They finished third the next year. The cross-country team was state runners-up behind Omaha North in 1964 and finished third the fall after that. Individually, Jim Lang won the Class A two-mile run for the Knights track team in 1967. The biggest highlights of that early golden era, though, 
came on the baseball diamond. After winning the high school state tournament in the springs of 1964 and 1965, the Ryan baseballers had a magic summer in 65. That summer, future Husker linebacker and radio, radio color man Adrian Fiala was the star pitcher on the Ryan summer baseball team sponsored by Pepsi. That team came within one game of winning the National American Legion Baseball Tournament. Pepsi staved off elimination games on the way to winning championships in the state and regional tournaments before falling just short, losing 2-1 to Charlotte, North Carolina in the national final. Ryan Knight Baseball would hang more banners for high school Class A state titles in 1968, 69, and 1971. When the Ryan athletes returned in the fall from that 1965 national near-miss, Joe Ponciego had taken over the night football program from Tom Deneen. Ponciego, a former Husker football player, had come from Ravana. Before that, he had won two state Class D championships at Clay Center. The Knights continued to be competitive in the Metro, and Ponciego was tabbed as a Shrine Bowl coach in the late 60s. He was still leading the Knights when our controversial 1972 season kicked off. Away from the athletic arena, Bishop Ryan was making a name for itself as a leader in innovative education, not just in Omaha or the state of Nebraska, but in the nation. They were one of the first schools to implement an organizational model developed at Stanford University called modular scheduling. Basically, it was a much more collegiate model than the typical high school schedule. Students had many, maybe as many as 20, small mods of time during the day instead of the traditional six or seven periods. Some mods were taken up by large lectures or traditional classroom activities, but many were flexible for students, allowing options to meet with teachers, join with small groups, or pursue independent learning projects. This program was led by Sister Virginia Roth, Ryan's principal, who is cited in the newspapers of the day as a significant leader in educational innovation. Her program at Bishop Ryan will be studied and adopted by many schools in the city, the state, and even the nation. Between 1966 and 1969, over 4,000 educators came to Bishop Ryan High School to observe and learn about modular scheduling from Principal Roth. In 1970, Ryan was the first private high school to receive the State Department of Education's AA accreditation. Roth continued to update the Bishop Ryan program in progressive ways beyond even the Stanford modular model. Even as the school and Sister Roth were being lauded by educational leaders, though, there was conflict with the Omaha Diocese. Despite being partners with the Sisters of St. Francis in the building of Ryan High just a decade earlier, the diocese basically entered into direct competition with Ryan for South Omaha Catholic families when it opened Daniel J. Gross High School at 43rd Street in North Bellevue, just two and a half miles from the Bishop Ryan campus. That was the fall of 1968. By 1970, the Sisters of St. Francis had cut their ties with the diocese in order to recruit students citywide. It was clear immediately that Gross would be marketed to potential students and families as a very traditional high school option, a direct contrast with Bishop Ryan's progressive programs. As I read the old newspaper stories about the two schools in the late 60s, it is impossible for me to not see this as traditional Catholic old-fashioned leaders versus new school hippie nuns from Milwaukee. However fair or unfair that characterization is to either side, I just can't avoid it. 
When Gross opened in the fall of 68, Ryan's boy enrollment was at its peak of about 545. By the fall of 1972, when the Knights and Cougars were both, remember, winning game after game on the football field, that count was down almost 100 to 450. By week six of 1972, as Ryan had climbed to number two in the World Herald ratings behind Bellevue, Knight coach Ponciego was quoted in the story about the effect of Gross on Ryan High by saying, quote, a lot of players at Gross had brothers who played at Ryan. Maybe the scales of history were already tipping the wrong way for the Knights of Ryan when the 1972 season crumbled, but it certainly didn't help. It was the first week of November when Omaha Gross clubbed Omaha Paul VI 57-0 to finish the only unbeaten season in Cougar football history, and Bishop Ryan High handled Tech 22-0 to do likewise. Then came that Saturday morning ruling that young Gary Shaddy, the Knights' leading tackler, a junior, should not have been playing. After that, the explanations of Ryan High and Principal Roth started an avalanche of bad press for the school. Roth told the Omaha World-Herald that the problem had stemmed from a misunderstanding of the NSAA rule. Roth said Ryan thought that a letter from Shaddy's mother saying he would be living with his brother sufficed to satisfy the NSAA rule about change of domicile. It did not. Even more significantly, her statement said that the school was unaware that Shaddy left Omaha Central with credit deficiencies that also made him ineligible. Sister Roth's quote, We received an incomplete transcript from Central about this, and both called and went to the school to get more information. This was late in coming, unquote. Central High responded to this criticism almost immediately, saying they didn't want to seem to be feuding, but that they needed to set the record straight. An unequivocal statement from longtime Central Principal G.E. Muller was highly critical of both Principal Roth and football coach Athletic Director Ponciego. Quote from Central, Two Central High administrators will swear under oath that they clearly told Joe Ponciego last August that Gary Shaddy was ineligible. The response was one of joking unconcern, unquote. The central principal went on to directly contradict Roth's statement, quote, On April 25th, a transcript was sent to Bishop Ryan, which clearly showed Shaddy was removed from our roles on April 12. There is no possible way to misinterpret or assume that he earned any second semester credits with us when he withdrew eight weeks before second semester ended, unquote. Muller said that he couldn't prove no phone calls between the two schools had happened about the issue, but added, if there had been a phone question from Ryan, quote, we would have had no reason not to reach into our completely convenient files to answer any question. Additionally, Central reported that they had sent similar correspondence to Beatrice High School, Orangeman Principal Arlington Tizer confirmed to the newspapers that Shaddy and his brother had visited his school in April to talk about transferring but never enrolled, lending more credence to the central version of events. All Bishop Ryan responses were handled by Principal Roth. Ponciego declined newspaper requests and deferred to her. Now, to step over the line into historical conjecture, this controversy was probably the exact wrong type of problem for Bishop Ryan at that point in history. One big 
supposed advantage of Ryan's non-traditional schedule was their ability to work with a student like Shaddy, who hadn't thrived in a more traditional element. Another was that a student, by using the flexible time and independent study options of modular scheduling, could earn more credits than was possible in a semester spent in a rigid seven-period day. But those progressive education ideas didn't mesh with the NSAA rules. And one wonders, was old-school coach and AD Ponciego given more latitude directly or implicitly to make the decision to ignore the warnings from central administrators and rely on the Ryan system to help Shaddy catch up? Did Roth think the Ryan system could easily help Shaddy recover his credits so he could just keep playing? One of my favorite elements of this story was the reaction of Shaddy's teammates. When the rumors of his possible ineligibility and resulting forfeits were first raised with two games remaining on the schedule, the Knights met and voted to keep him on the roster. They didn't see a difference between forfeiting seven games instead of nine. They wanted to keep their teammate. Quarterback John Smoltzky told the newspaper, quote, We decided there was no reason to keep him from playing. He worked as hard as anybody else. Gary was really gung-ho about football. By the way he practiced and the way he played, I think it meant a lot to him, unquote. The adults in the, situ- in the situation don't end up faring as well. By the spring of 1973, the story had disappeared from the news, but it was announced that Ponciego was stepping down as football coach and athletic director and would move to a newly created alumni activities position. A month later, Principal Roth announced she was leaving Ryan, uh, where she had been for nine years, to join Omaha Westside's District 66 staff, where she would specialize in individualized instruction. As I said, this had to be the exact wrong controversy for Bishop Ryan as it battled its more traditional rival at Gross for student enrollees. The flexibility and innovation that were Ryan's best qualities looked nefarious in the Gary Shaddy situation. Instead of virtues, they seemed to be the overconfidence in newfangled ideas that the diocese was fighting back against when it placed the very traditional Gross High in South Omaha. Also, the overall direction of American politics as the 70s proceeded were working against the Knights as education entered a back-to-basics era that would culminate in the Reagan Revolution of 1980 with its slashing of educational funding and its cheerleading for the three R's basics. No matter if the causes of Ryan High's downfall were micro or macro, the pattern is easy to see. The enrollments of the two schools, Ryan and Gross, cross on a graph. By 1975, Ryan is down to just over 500 students total, less than half of its 1970 number, and is competing in Class B. The Gross Cougars, on the other hand, have over 1,000 students by then, up from just under 800 two years earlier. The Cougars joined the Metro Conference in 75, and by 1978, they are playing in the Class A football state playoff semifinals against Creighton Prep. Strangely, the two schools, such existential rivals in enrollment, only ever met on the football field four times, the first two occurring as their enrollments converged in 1974 and 75. The results point to the larger futures of the two institutions. Ryan won a dramatic 15-14 decision in their homecoming game the first time the two met in 1974. Playing in the mud of the Rosenblatt Stadium outfield, the Knights trailed 14-9 with just seconds to go when Bruce Purdue connected on a 33-yard touchdown pass to Nick 
Capacilla for a narrow win. By the next season, though, things had swung in Gross's direction. It was the Cougars' turn to host homecoming, this time at Berkwist Stadium, and even a mid-game light outage. The game actually started on Saturday night and had to be finished Monday afternoon. Couldn't slow Gross down. The Cougars dominated for a 35-0 win. Gross would win the final two matchups, 20-18 in 1977 and 34-0 in 1978. After that, the two schools went their different ways and never met on the football field again. Bishop Ryan will continue to see its enrollment decline during the next decade, and though its undefeated season on the field of 1972 didn't lead to a new golden age to match the 60s, there were several athletic accomplishments still to come. Gary Shaddy, a junior in that tumultuous fall of 1972, regained his eligibility and finished his career well at Bishop Ryan. He earned All-State Honors in Football in 1973 and won the 185-pound Class A Wrestling Championship in 74, leading the Knights to a top-10 finish as a team. In the fall of 74, the football team finished in the Class A Top 10, and baseball continued to be strong throughout the decade. The Knights won Class B state titles in 77 and 79, and were state runners-up in 76 and 1980. Ryan's Dan Slobath won back-to-back state tennis singles championships for the Knights, and his sister Sue followed that up with a girls' singles title in 1975, which propelled Ryan to a three-way tie with Ralston and Omaha Duchenne for the Class B tennis title. In 1977, they also captured Class B basketball. Six-foot-nine All-Stater Jim Hans averaged 23 points a game as the Knights went 17-3 against a Class A Metro schedule. They had to survive a first-round 46-42 scare in overtime against Kimball at State, but then cruised past Lexington 70-53 in the semis and Seward 50-33 in the final to capture Bishop Ryan's first and last non-baseball state title. The Ryan baseball team's 1980 runner-up finish was its last state tourney appearance. And when the basketball team fell to Columbus Scotus in the first round of the 1981 state basketball bracket, that was the end of Bishop Ryan's efforts at the state level. In 1982, Patty Atkins was the Class B girls golf state titleist. By that fall, the school's athletic leaders had started planning for a withdrawal from the Metro Conference. As Ryan adjusted to competing in Class B, Gross Catholic was making a successful transition to the big division. After winning Class B baseball four straight years from 71 to 74, the Cougars played in the Class A semifinals in 1977. Notice the power of South Omaha baseball, as in a lot of those years, Ryan and Gross were both competing at the top levels of Nebraska baseball, just switching classes as they did it. The Cougars found their way to those 1978 football semifinals with a surprising upset of number two Omaha Burke. Quarterback Carl Smith keyed the victory for the Cougars by passing for 166 yards and accounting for two touchdowns in the 25-21 Gross win. Five years later, Gross would defeat Omaha South in the 1983 playoff quarterfinals before dominating Lincoln East in the semis to advance to the school's first state title game. The Cougars, usually a passing team in that era, relied on the running of David Payne and Larry Bartek to key the victory. 
Turnovers hurt the Cougars as they fell 25-21 to Creighton Prep in the state final. Gross out-yarded the Junior Jays but lost three fumbles in the game, including the clincher, with under six minutes left when they were driving for the lead. It was the second of seven state titles Prep would win in the 80s. The next winner, the Cougar basketballers made their deepest Class A tournament run, defeating Fremont to make the semifinals. Senior Mike Neneman was the star against the Tigers, hitting 9 of 11 fourth quarter free throws to hold off the Fremont rally. In the semifinal, they met defending champions Millard South, a wildcard team which Gross had beaten in the district final. This time, the Cougars controlled the tempo, slowing the game down, but the Indians hit late free throws for a 38-36 win. Gross Catholic made another state Class A baseball appearance in 1985, falling to Lincoln Southeast in the opener. While the Cougars were navigating the Class A athletic ranks, Bishop Ryan was dealing with much bigger issues. The very existence of the school was at stake. Problems were starting to show up in stories in the World Herald as early as 1980. New principal Elizabeth Hesse announced a tightening up of the Bishop Ryan academic program, putting some students in a more traditional high school schedule in response to concerns that the more flexible program was not working for some. Even while making the changes, Sister Hesse noted that perhaps Ryan was not a good match for the more traditional South Omahans of the time. The World Herald quoted her, We've often said, if we were out in West Omaha, we'd be a lot more accepted, unquote. In July of 1981, the Ryan Board announced that because of declining enrollment, the school was in serious financial trouble. That December, Ryan invited World Herald reporter Nick Schinker, a 70s-era Ryan graduate himself, to return to the school to see the changes in hopes of drawing back some of the families who had left the school community. A year later, Sister Angus Marie Henkel, representing the Sisters of St. Francis, offered to turn the school over to the Omaha Diocese if the diocese would take over the school's extensive debt of almost a million dollars. Hinkle said another option would be for the sisters to keep the school open for a short time while the diocese studied the overall needs for Catholic schools in Omaha with an eye to the West. That option both harkens back to Sister Hesse's belief that the Ryan program might have been more accepted further out into the suburbs and foresees the opening of Scott Catholic and Millard over a decade later. The diocese rejected taking on the sisters' debt, saying it didn't have the funds to do that. It was okay with the study idea, but wanted the sisters to finance it. On January 21, 1983, the Ryan Board announced that the school would close for good that May. That year, enrollment had sunk to just 333 students. Gross high at the time was at 1,245. The World Herald said the school had been at capacity for almost 10 years. Outcry to save Bishop Ryan was immediate. Students, parents, and other concerned members of the school community formed a committee quickly and named it the Save Ryan Committee. One member, Dennis Kennedy, said an overhaul of the academic program would be step one. Quote, Daniel Gross is a very traditional school, and that's the message we've been getting. Our parents want a traditional school. Unquote. He outlined not only changes in schedule, but an end to Ryan's policy of not using letters or numbers to signify grades. 
State Senator Bernice Labitz and City Councilman Steve Tomasek, other members of the Save Ryan Committee, began to lobby parish priests, hoping to use their support from the pulpit to save the school. Tomasek told the World Herald that local priests had already agreed with him that changing to a more traditional curriculum model would make the school more attractive. To the South, though, those at Gross High were cautious in their public comments, but not optimistic about the realities of keeping two Catholic schools afloat in South Omaha. Brother Eugene Meyerpeter, Gross principal, said, quote, I'm not sure how many schools the area will support. No one likes a school being closed. It's kind of touchy. I suggest a long-range study be made for the Omaha area. I'm not sure how many students are out there, unquote. Bishop Ryan's students were also actively involved in the effort to save the school. Steve Tomakevich, a junior student council president-elect, led the charge. He led a group called Ryan SOS, where SOS stood for Save Our School. He was in, he was in the newspapers and on the radio and TV making the school's case. He reached out to our Archbishop Daniel Sheehan to try to change some views on the school's program. Quote, people think kids aren't in school all day. Modular. People hear a word and they, they don't know what it means. It's just fear, he told the papers. Tomakevich added, quote, people think we don't have grades. We have grades. We fight for those grades. Being a National Honor Society is important. We get credit slips with one, two, three, four, or no credit and evaluations, unquote. His group invited the archbishop to spend a day at the school so the archbishop could see what it was really like. He declined. He sent diocese educational director John Flynn, and Thomas Kevich feared Flynn went away without a true picture of Ryan High. The students organized a four-mile march to the archbishop's office in January through the <laughs> Omaha snow to emphasize their desire to keep the school open. They dubbed it the March to the Arch. On the sports pages, Ryan continued to play games as the fate of the school was debated. Steve Pivovar of the Omaha World Herald covered the night's one-point basketball loss to Ralston on the same day the closing was announced. He quoted junior Mike Urandowski, who had followed eight brothers and sisters to Ryan High. Quote, It's like I was born and raised here. It's kind of my second home. I never thought about any other school than Ryan. Unquote. Head football coach George Mills, a 1971 graduate of the school, said he was expecting cutbacks, not closing. Both he and basketball coach Tim Lakovic, another alum, class of 70, thought the move to leave the Metro was a good step for the school, which was the smallest in the 21-school league. Lakovic told the World Herald, That looked like the right move. I guess that makes the decision even more of a shock. Both the adult and student groups were lobbying the Catholic hierarchy in Omaha in hopes that the diocese would take over Ryan High and make it part of their school system, which included Gross and Roncalli, as well as the smaller high schools, Cathedral, Paul VI, and Holy Name. In February, the Archbishop met with representatives of the Sisters of St. Francis about the possible sale of the school. What played out after that looks like a prolonged negotiation. The diocese seemed willing to accept the school as a gift, but didn't think it had the funds to purchase it. The Sisters needed to cover the over $900,000 of debt the school had built up. 
Through February and March, there was some back and forth, but not much hope. Uh, Sister of St. Francis Representative Hinkle was back in Omaha in March, telling the newspaper that the school might be sold to non-Catholics. She said there had been inquiries from the Omaha diocese, but they hadn't led to any formal offers. Quote, to me, an offer is something that doesn't keep jiggling when it's put down on paper, she quipped. The local committees, hoping to keep Ryan open, had been hopeful when a press conference was scheduled, but then it never occurred. Instead, Hinkle laid out the negotiations with the diocese. She said the Omaha officials had been informed that Ryan High was in trouble as far back as 1981. The sisters offered to transfer the school to the diocese in December of 82 for $966,000 to cover the sisters' debt. On January 12, 1983, Archbishop Sheehan rejected that offer. So, the sisters announced the school closing. In March, Hinkle explained that the sisters would need to at least recoup the $1 million in debt that was now on the books for the school. And, she added, the school was valued at 5 to $6 million if it was used as a school. That school could be any, of any denomination, she said. Quote, the building itself is not Catholic. She said the Sisters of St. Francis would not seek to recoup the $1.5 million they had invested when the school was built in 1958, or the $2.5 million the Sisters estimated they had contributed in services to the school over the years. Obviously, the hippie Sisters from Milwaukee knew a little bit about hardball negotiation. Hinkle even explicitly named a Christian school group from Bellevue that had expressed interest in buying the building. One Ryan student was quoted in the newspaper saying that students are frustrated at what appears to be a power struggle between the two Catholic organizations, with them caught in the middle. At least 17 juniors used the school's individualized system to take extra credits and graduate early. Others talked of transferring to Ron Colley or to public schools. Just a day after Hinkle's comments about the troubles negotiating with the diocese, an anonymous donor got the wheels moving and the diocese was announcing that they would take over the school and the $1.2 million in debt. Sister Hinkle pointed out in the papers that this was the exact offer that Sheehan had rejected in January. The anonymous donor was later identified as Lloyd E. Skinner, the Omaha Macaroni King, who inherited the Skinner Manufacturing Company from his father, Lloyd M., who, of course, was the original Omaha Macaroni King. Even as the purchase was announced, rumors ab abounded that the Archbishop's plan included taking over Ryan, closing Paul VI, and combining the two as a new school on the Ryan campus to be named St. Joseph, which had been Paul VI's name until 1968. Questions remained about curriculum and teachers, but early indications were that the Ryan program would be abandoned and that even Ryan teachers would be given no special considerations in filling the jobs at the new school. As the final school year for Bishop Ryan High finished, all those rumors were borne out. The school at 60th and L would be open in the fall of 1983, but it would be a very different institution. St. Joseph High School would be a more traditional school and manned by a new administration and staff. The blue and gold Paul VI Hawks and the black and gold Ryan Knights would put on Columbia blue and silver and become the St. Joseph Chargers. But the transition wasn't smooth. Hoping for a freshman class of 100 for the new school, diocese officials saw only 51 register in April. 
Soon after that, the 150 eligible Paul VI students were given a chance to commit to the new school. Only 20 did. Finally, most tellingly, when the newly appointed president of the St. Joseph Board, Reverend Lloyd Gnerk, presented details about St. Joseph High to the Ryan student body, he was roundly booed when describing the no-jeans dress code, the closed campus, and the traditional eight-period day. The World Herald noted that, quote, the majority of the crowd was wearing the forbidden pants, unquote. St. Joseph officials started lowering their estimates for year one, dropping their goal of 400 down to 300 students. In June, when the teaching faculty was finally announced, 17 of the 21 positions did go to either Ryan or Paul VI teachers, but only 200 students had registered, despite there being 450 former students of the two schools who were eligible to transfer over. When football and volleyball practices opened for the new Chargers in the fall, there were only 273 students attending school in the old Ryan building. That's smaller than Ryan had been the year before, despite the addition of all the Paul VI kids. Officials from the diocese said they would be patient and understanding, and they knew that it took a new school a while to gain traction in a community. In the end, though, 273 students would be the high mark in school history. Enrollment would be only 238 when Archbishop Sheehan announced the closing of St. Joseph in January of 1989. At that time, he set a goal of opening a new Catholic high school in West Omaha by 1993, and Scott Catholic welcomed its first class of freshmen in August of that year. The Charger athletic history was probably strongest in the beginning, too. Coach Mills from Ryan got the football job and led the Columbia Blue to five straight wins in its inaugural season over Cathedral, Holy Name, Conestoga, Wahoo Newman, and Omaha Father Flanagan. The season ended with losses to Council Bluffs St. Albert and Boys Town for a respectable 5-2 and two record. The Chargers would never qualify for the football playoffs or for state tournaments in basketball and volleyball during their six-year existence. The school did produce two individual state champions, and both claimed their golds as the institution was preparing to close. In February of 1989, Lonnie Kleinschmidt captured the Class B 119-pound bracket at state wrestling. And in May, just as the do doors of the school were closing forever, German foreign exchange student Tina Schmid completed a 12-0 year and won Class B number one singles at girls' state tennis. While the direct descendant of Bishop Ryan didn't light the state on fire athletically, we know that its more distant relation, Scott Catholic, has been very very, very successful. Ryan proponents often brought up the idea that maybe they would be better off further west in Omaha. The school the diocese finally did place out there has just surpassed Bishop Ryan's lifespan as the Skyhawks enter their 26th school year this fall. Their athletic history has already surpassed Ryan's, though it has all been on the Class B level. They've had three football champions, in 2005, 2013, and 2014, and three state runners-up. In boys' basketball, they've also won three state championships in 06, 07, and 14, with two runner-up finishes. Girls' basketball finished as state runner-up in 2004 and has been to the state semifinals three other times. Boys' tennis was the state champions in, in 2017. 
Their softball team was champions in 2011 and 2013 and runners-up in 08. The Skyhawks volleyball team was runner-up in 2014 and then reeled off three straight years of state championships in 15, 16, and 17. The Skyhawk baseball team was state champ in 2017 and has four state runner-up finishes. Of course, where the Skyhawks have really dominated the state has been in Class B wrestling, where they have been the state champions for 20 of the last 21 years, from 1998 to 2018. They've also had 71 individual state champions. But oh, I'm not done. Their boys' golf team was state champ in 2006. Their girls' tennis team has won nine state championships between 2009 and 2014, along with 25 individual state championship medals. On the track is probably the only place the Skyhawks have lacked, uh, really only one individual gold medal in girls' track in all these years. But that's more than made up for on the soccer field, where their girls were state champs in 06, 09, 2010, 11, 13, 16, and 17, along with four runner-up finishes, and their boys were state champs in 03, 04, 07, 08, and 2012, with three runner-up finishes. The Scott Catholic athletic legacy is going strong. To wrap up today, I've visited the old Bishop Ryan campus several times in the last couple years as I worked on this project. It's still a striking campus perched there on the hillside uh, with its original 1950s era architecture, which is very similar to other buildings built in the era. Uh, those of you who remember what Hastings High and Scott's Bluff High looked like originally, you would, you would see echoes of that in the Ryan architecture. If you want to get a look at it, though, you better hurry. Soon the old building will be cleared away to make way for a new high school. The Omaha Public Schools will place an as-yet-unnamed new high school at 60th and L in sometime in the next five years. Well, that's it for another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. We'll be back in a week or two. We're trying to space out episodes a little more this year, and if I keep getting colds like I've had the last week and can't record, it could get spaced out a little bit more. But we'll be back soon with a look at a football rivalry from Northeast Nebraska. In the meantime, look for our Twitter feed, at SuitUpVarsity, where we've been posting old Nebraska sports pictures and notes for the last several months. Or check out our webpage at SuitingUpVarsity.org where we actually have a feed of all those Twitter posts going all the way back to June. Or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash suitinguparsity. In the meantime, you can ponder this idea. Wouldn't Scott Catholic, the Skyhawks after all, look better if they had adopted the St. Joseph High Columbia? Isn't that almost sky blue and silver as their school colors instead of the 90s trendy but now I don't know green and black? Let me know what you think. This has been Suiting Up Varsity Season 3, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by my brothers, Tate Mays and Trent Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from friend Chris Shukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2018.